Well, we're privileged to have Brother Sam Wilson. He's going to come and preach for us. Brother Sam is with uh, International Board of Jewish Missions, uh, IBJM up in Chattanooga. He is based in the Atlanta area, uh, uh, reaching the Jewish people in the Atlanta area. Uh, he was in, uh, in Moscow, started a church in, in Moscow, so he's fluent in Russian. He asked if he wanted him to preach in Russian or in English, and I, I said we'd prefer English. So, <laughs> Anybody else in here know Russian? I said, I don't think we have any translators, so I don't know if that'll work. I don't know how scriptural that would be. Uh, but he's going to come, and he's going to present a little bit about the ministry that he's doing. It's quite interesting, some things that he's doing, going over to Israel some, and then he is in the Ukraine quite often. So he'll, he'll speak to us a little bit about that, but then he's going to preach to us. So have your Bibles ready and listen as Brother Wilson comes to preach. Thank you, Pastor. Okay, so I guess we'll go to English like the Pastor said. Uh, it is a thrill to be here. Uh, I am actually, this is my first time in, in my life to be in Dalton. I drive past Dalton all the time, but I've, uh, the first time I've gotten to come here, I have heard so much about your church and about your pastor. And I have been desiring to come here and see what in the world is going on in this place. Because everywhere I go, I run into people from this church who are out serving the Lord. And I think, you know what, I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but God's doing a work here. And I've been looking forward to it. Uh, I was talking to one of my new friends, uh, what kind, of, kind of an old new friend, years ago, when I was serving in Moscow, Russia, I met a young man, uh, and turns out he's from here. Uh, Mark Coffey came rolling through, through Moscow, right? when was that? A hundred years ago. I just learned that that's his mom, I'm sitting there. I just, I just learned that about you just a couple minutes ago, and I thought, what a... See, I, I need to start in the beginning, because this story's just going to confuse everybody. But I go to Vision down in Alpharetta. You've probably heard of that, and uh, I'm supposing. And we have this song leader named Stephen that maybe you know, and we have an assistant pastor's wife named Stephanie that perhaps you also know. And I just learned that Mark Coffey's tied in with you Cofields too. And I'm like, my Gracious, I think everybody in our church is. Anyway, it is a delight to be here, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to come and to minister. I don't want to spend a long time talking about myself, but let me give you just the short version of what, what we, who we are what we do. I'm Sam, and Rhonda's not here today. If you have my prayer card, you can see a picture. Of my, she's beautiful. Uh, that's my dear wife, Rhonda, and she's not here because she's at a doctor. She's up at a clinic in Nashville today and tomorrow getting treatment, so she couldn't come tonight. But uh, we, we're Sam and Rhonda Wilson, and we were serving the Lord here in the States, uh, Christian school principal assistant pastor serving the Lord, minding our own business on a Sunday morning during Sunday school when God called us to the mission field. And, uh, you know, you hear people say, oh, I wrestled with God for 18 years before surrendering. I, I wrestled with God for about eight seconds. Uh, the truth of the matter is, it was no wrestling match at all because I can't think of anything in the world I'd rather do than serve God. I mean, you know, when God calls you to the mission field, it's like, wow. What, what could be more exciting than taking the gospel to people that have never heard it? I can't even imagine what, I mean, come on, what else would you want to do? And so when God called us to the mission field, we were just thrilled to death, and God sent us then... It, that, 
I'm going to, I'm kind of an old guy. Maybe you noticed I'm kind of an old guy. Uh, that was back in, that was back in the middle 90s. Uh, in 1995, we moved our family to Moscow, Russia. And we intended to serve there for the rest of our lives. We moved to Moscow. Uh, we learned to speak Russian. We know Chile, give Paruski. And we learned to love the Russian people. Now, note about politics. You know what the Russians taught me? They taught me that you can love your country, even though you ha might have severe doubts about your government. Uh, <laughs> does that sound familiar? Uh, the Russian people are wonderful people. Now, when I say they're wonderful people, not all of them are. You know, there are thugs and creeps and losers in every culture. But, but I, we grew to love the Russian people. Uh, they're delightful people. They are nothing like they're portrayed to be on television. Okay? I mean, really seriously. Anyway, so we grew to love them, and God blessed, and we were able to plant a church in downtown Moscow, Russia, by the grace of God. And while we were there, one strange night, a group of missionaries... On an around, who does that? An around-the-world missionary tour stopped in Moscow, and I, I got somehow selected to give them a tour of Moscow. And that turned, to be, it turned out to be Austin Gardner and Mark Coffey and a, a bunch of other slightly crazy people. And, uh, and, and so I met all of them back then and uh, didn't know it. Anyway, we were going to be there the rest of our lives. And to our great surprise, in 2008, God said, it's time for you to turn the church over to a Russian pastor and go home. And we were happy to turn the church over to a Russian pastor, but we didn't want to go home. We loved what we were doing, but God said, go home. And we came back to the States, and we didn't know why, and we didn't understand it. And frankly, we were a little aggravated with the Lord about it. And God said, now go to Israel. And we were flabbergasted. It never in our lives occurred to us that we might have a chance to serve God in Israel. Now, I said to you a minute ago, can't think of anything better than taking the gospel to, to, to people who have never heard of it. But I'll tell you something better than that. Taking the gospel to God's chosen people who have never heard. Now, that's... Oh, you want to know what's better than that? Taking the gospel to God's chosen people in the Holy Land who have never heard. <laughs> See, now, you guys have a baptistry here. In Tel Aviv, we didn't have a Baptist. See, we had to rent an auditorium, and they don't, you know what? In rented build, business buildings, they don't make baptistry. So we didn't have a baptistry. It was really difficult. When people got saved, we had to baptize them. We had no choice but to baptize them in the Jordan River. <laughs> anyway, so, so we were able to serve there for three years in, in Tel Aviv, Israel. And now we knew going in that it's hard for Gentiles because Israel doesn't want missionaries, and it's hard to stay in the country. We went there. We served there. We were able to stay three years before they threw us out of the country. And they threw us out, and we landed back here stateside at the start of 2013. And God led us then to go to Atlanta. Um, long story. I won't give you all the details of how we ended up in Atlanta. I will say the fact that there's 120,000 Jewish people has something to do with it. Um, and we began to pray about, God, how can we get the gospel to 120,000 Jewish people in Atlanta, and we began to pray about that and seek God's will for that. And God gave us a plan, a ministry plan that will work to get the gospel to the Jewish people. And we're very excited about it. And, and when the, the powers that be at International Board of Jewish Missions came down to Atlanta and said, what in the world are you doing down here? I said, well, let me lay out my plan for ministry in Atlanta. And I told them what we were going to do. And they said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I was like, what's wrong? And they said, the part where you said it's for Atlanta. They said, we have been praying and seeking God. This is the plan. We, want, we don't want this in Atlanta. We want it in Atlanta. We want it in Toronto. We want it in New York, Miami. We want it all over the country. And so 
my ministry today, shortly, uh, briefly, is I'm leading a team of men from International Board of Jewish Missions going across the country, mobilizing churches to reach the Jewish people in their communities. 38% of all the Jewish people in the world live here in the U.S. 38%, nearly half. Okay, 5.4 million Jewish people. And the amazing thing is, is that America is like, got more gospel than any place in the world. We've got, you, you can hear the gospel anywhere you want to, but the Jewish people are not hearing the gospel. You say, well, why aren't they? They're not hearing the gospel because the church isn't taking the gospel to them. You know, God, God never told them to go to the church. God told the church to go to them. And we haven't been getting the job done with the Jewish people. Most Christians never ever thought about taking the gospel to a Jewish person. And if they have thought about it, they have no clue how to go about doing it. And so our ministry is, is going around the country, preaching in churches about the need to witness to the Jewish people, and then doing seminars to teach them how to take the gospel to the Jewish people. Now, recently did a seminar at Vision. Uh, they call it, they, they, we, we called it City on a Hill. And um, when we did it, Pastor Gardner said, I'm all in for you doing a, minist- uh, a seminar on how to witness to the Jewish people, but could you make it about reaching the Gentiles as well? And I said, that's perfect, because that's what we're about. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, we preach about that all the time, and we love to preach and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And folks, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. And sometimes we preach and we say, it's the power of God unto salvation. And it is the power of God to salvation. And then we say, to the Jews and also to the Greek. We kind of just mumble through that last part, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is, first of all, for the Jewish people and also for all of the rest of us. And yet, we have never even thought about reaching them. And so our ministry is trying to help churches see, wow, this is something that needs to be done, taking the gospel to the Jews, teaching them how to do it and equipping them so that they can reach it. We'll never have enough missionaries to reach all the Jewish people. God's plan was never for missionaries to do the job. God's plan is what God's plan has always been, the local church, okay? And when the members of our churches say, you know what, I'll witness to my Jewish neighbor, my Jewish coworker, my doctor, my jeweler, my dentist, uh, my wife's chiropractor's Jewish, he hears the gospel about every week or so, I feel it in my pocket. Uh, he gets the, he's getting the gospel, he's been to our Baptist church. Uh, as Christians all across America begin to witness to their Jewish neighbors, the Jewish people are going to get the gospel and souls are going to be saved. And so that's what we're about. Now, we, we preach all over the country. Also, I go to Ukraine usually three times a year. Uh, I was there earlier this month uh, preaching in Ukraine, doing the exact same thing there that I do here, helping churches reach the Jewish people in their communities. And so that's what we do this week. I'm up in Hickson, Tennessee, just well, north side Chattanooga. It's, what, 40 minutes from here, I guess. Uh, we're having a seminar. It's called Four-Day Focus, a four-day, four-day seminar in Jewish evangelism. And in fact, we have two gentlemen here that have traveled to Chattanooga to be at the seminar. Would you guys stand up? The, these two men, uh, this is Gary Hovacker from Athens, Alabama. 
and Brother Stan Kiefer, also from Athens, but they go to different churches. I don't know what that's about. You guys can be seated. Uh, Brother Gary has been with us in New York City doing outreach on the streets of New York City. Now, you guys have been to New York City, right? So you know that is a crazy place. When we go up there, we tell them it's a mission trip on an island off the coast of America. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> it doesn't seem much like America. It's a crazy place. That, uh, and, then, and then Brother Stan travels to the Philippines and trains pastors there. And, so, and they've come to uh, IBJM headquarters up in Hickson. And we've been studying all day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and tomorrow, how to take the gospel to the Jewish people. And we thank God for these men and for the chance to be here. Now, enough of me talking about this stuff. Let's get into the scriptures. Open your Bible, if you will, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. How many of you know a Jewish person? Amen. Amen. I like that. Is there anybody here who doesn't know any Jewish people? Raise your hand. You don't know any Jewish people? You don't even know one Jewish person? Okay, well, if you don't, I'd like to introduce you to a guy named Jesus He was a Jewish person that you really need to know. I am, let, short commercial before I get into the message here. I told Pastor I wasn't going to jabber. Here we go. Okay. We have a, there's a brochure out on my table I would like you to have. It's called How to Win the Jews. It's advice for you about how to witness to Jewish people. Please stop and get one. Read it. That'll give you some, you'll, then you'll know something about how to witness to the Jewish people. There are also gospel tracts for Jewish people. Take some. You say, I don't know any Jews. Take some, pray that God will send you a Jew. Okay? And, and, and take them so you'll be equipped to do that. If you are interested in getting, I send out a, I'm not talking about a prayer letter that's talking about my ministry. I send out a monthly letter called the Light Bearer's Letter to give you advice to help you to witness to your Jewish neighbor. If you're interested in getting that, there's a sign-up sheet. You can sign up for that, and I'll send that to you by email once a month. And the last thing I'd like to say, a bunch of you raised your hand and said, I know a Jewish person. So is there anybody here that if you had a beautiful Hebrew-English Tanakh, you know the word Tanakh, it means Old, Te it's Old Testament, and it's in, in Hebrew and English together. This is the whole, it's the Old Testament. With it, we have the New Testament also in Hebrew and English, okay? And it's a great gift to give to your Jewish friend. If you have a Jewish friend and you can bring it to him and give it to them and say, and, and use it to introduce, say, boy, have, do you read the Tanakh? I love to read the Tanakh. And you can share with them the things you've read in the Tanakh, in the Jewish Bible, in the Old Testament, and use it as a witnessing tool. Does, is there anybody that would like to have one of these so that you could use it to, to share with one of your Jewish friends? Okay. If you do, it's yours for free tonight. Uh, we don't sell anything. They're for free. If anybody wants one, see me, and I would be delighted to leave it with you. You can give it to your Jewish friend. Generally, they are amazed and thrilled to receive it. Okay. John chapter 9. It says here, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. 
As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your wonder-working power. Lord, that you can give sight to the blind. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, that you'd open our eyes that we might see. Lord, that we would be the light of the world, that we might bring light into the lost, into the, into the lives of the lost and dying around us. Lord, bless us and, and help us to serve you faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this passage of Scripture, it starts out with a blind man. Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, this is a story. This isn't a parable. This is a story of a real event that happened with a real man who was really blind. Okay? And yet, it's not a bad thing to stop and think about why Matthew, excuse me, why John included this in his gospel. There were many stories he could have told, but this story unquestionably not only is telling us a true story of something happened, but it's telling us something about mankind. Because mankind is blind from birth. Okay? We are born blind spiritually. Uh, I'm going to flip, I'm going to keep coming back to John, but I want to go over to, chapter, to, to Romans, and I want to read you a couple of verses from Romans chapter 10 about the Jewish people. Because it's, well, in, in Romans chapter 11 and in verse 25, it says about the Jewish people, I would not, brethren, that you should be the ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The Bible says that there's blindness in part on Israel that the Jewish people's eyes have been partially blinded that they cannot see the truth. Now, that's a terrible thing. That's a horrible thing. Anybody who hears the truth and does not receive it will become dull of hearing. Okay? By the way, that happens to Baptists too, in case you were wondering. Baptists that sit and listen to the preaching of the Word of God and don't obey it. I, and by the way, you can sit there and go, Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah! But if you don't do what the Bible says, you might end up with some blindness in part of your own. But the Bible says there's blindness in part in Israel. And if we look back a chapter, we can read this in chapter, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, this verse, I think, is very important because, first of all, the Apostle Paul was not the... He wasn't the apostle to the Jews. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet he's saying here, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. Okay, if we took the time to flip back another chapter, he could say, I, I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren according to the flesh, the Israelites. Those are amazing words. He had a passion to see the people of Israel come to Christ. We should have a passion like he did, like God does, to see the Jewish people come to Christ, to see everyone come to Christ. Okay, we're about the Jews, we're about everybody, about everybody getting the gospel. And Paul had this passion, and then he says this in verse 2, he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Okay, he said the Jewish people, there's something very special about them. They have a zeal of God, they have a heart for God, they have a hunger and a thirst to know God and to try to please Him. Now, in today's world, because of a couple of different things, I'll go into it another time, uh, many times that's pretty deeply suppressed. But we still see it very clearly in the religious Jews. My gracious, 
do they try hard to please God. Now, we're Baptists, and we take our faith seriously. Sometimes we look at these other churches and go, well, they just live just like the world. They're not, you know, we, and we, don't, we, kinda, we kinda look down on them a little bit because they don't seem to take their faith. But we're Baptists, we take our faith seriously. But I wanna tell you something. We don't do nothing compared to what they do. You look at those Orthodox Jews, they rise up before the sun in the morning and they're doing their prayers and all day long, their whole life is about following the 613 commandments of the Old Testament and following the tens of thousands of traditions of the rabbis because if they can do all this stuff, they're convinced they will be pleasing to God. They work harder at it than any of us do. Boy, they're at it. They have a zeal of God, but it goes on to say, but not according to knowledge. Now, how many of you have boys? Anybody here have, you have boys? Yeah, I have boys. I have two boys. You know, boys, I love boys. Boys are a riot. I think boys are so fun. But boys are a perpetual, it's God's perpetual motion machine. They, they run 100 miles an hour until they fall over and go to sleep. They sleep for a little while and they jump up and keep doing the same thing. And I remember one day my boy Joshua was running past me at about 100 miles an hour, reached out and grabbed him and I told him, son, it's good to go fast, but it really helps if you're going the right way. Going really, really fast the wrong direction doesn't help anything. And that's what the Jewish people are doing. They're going 100 miles an hour the wrong direction. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Well, what, what are they doing? Well, let's look at the next verse. It says in, in, in Romans 10, 3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What's he saying here? The key word you want to look at is going about to establish their own righteousness. They believe that they can be righteous enough to be accepted by God. That's, folks, you know the gospel. Your preacher preaches it every week here. That for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That our good works can never save us. We can never be righteous enough. Our religious works can never save us. It's only by the grace, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Okay, that's the gospel. But they don't know that. They believe that through their righteousness they can be good enough to get saved. Can I tell you something? It's not the Jews alone that are thinking that. Okay, if we, go out, if we want to go down here, Dalton, and go, go, go knocking on doors or go talk to people on the street, if I start walking up to people and say, hey, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I guarantee you I know what they're going to say. A bunch of them are going to say, well, I, I think so. Well, why do you think you're going to get to heaven? I'm a pretty good guy. Well, I go to church. I've been baptized. Well, I might not be real good, but I'm better than him. What does it all come down to? Just exactly this. People are striving. It's the Jews are doing it, and the Gentiles are doing it. Striving to establish their own righteousness. Trying so hard to be good enough so they've got to save them. That is a tragedy. People working so hard to please God and doing it in a way that can never work. And so they're lost. You know, back there in John 9-1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. That perfectly describes the Jewish people. They're blinded by sin. Blinded by their own desire for self-righteousness. It perfectly describes not just the Jews, but the rest of us too. 
mankind is blind. And over in Matthew 9, what does it say? That Jesus had compassion on them because they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. That's the condition of the world today. And if you look at the Jews or if you look at the Gentiles, it doesn't matter. This world is in horrible condition. And people are running as hard as they can trying to find something to satisfy their souls. And one is going out after money and they're going to get rich and they think that's going to make them happy. Because, you know, you look at rich people, they're all just thrilled to death, right? No. And others are going out after earthly, fleshly pleasures thinking that'll satisfy. And there is pleasure for a season in that. But just for a moment. And then sin turns around and bites. People are going out after false. They're going every direction except for to Christ. Scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It's, it's a sad thing. Now what does it say here? If we look back here at John chapter 9, Jesus saw this man that was blind from birth. The disciples say, whose fault is it? And he said, it's not because somebody sinned. This is for the glory of God. And then Jesus says in, in verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me. And, you know, everywhere I go across America, I run into Christians who are having a great time. They're going to church, and they're singing the songs, and they're worshiping the Lord, and they're having a big time in church. But so many of us have forgotten that we're not here to have a great time. Now, I'm having a good time, and I intend to continue to have a good time. But I'm not here to have a good time. We're here to serve God. We are here to do a job. We have a commission from God. We have a job that we're here to do. And people have forgotten that. You know, a lot of times we're losing our youth. In many churches, you see the, the youth are fleeing the church. And I, I, you stop, stop thinking about this for a minute. If they look at mom and dad, and, they, and if they look at the, the, the other people they know in the church, and those people's, the main thing in their life is, you know what? We need to work really hard. Why is that? So we can make a lot of money. Why is that? So we can have a nicer house. Why is that? If the purpose of your life is just to have a really nice life, what is the point of that? Does that thrill anybody's heart? Say, I could move up to an 1,800 square foot house. Oh man, now there's a vision that will thrill a young person's life. I could get a brand new toaster. Isn't it exciting? You know what? Young people are looking for a vision. They're looking for a mission. They're looking for something to give their lives meaning. Young people know something that sometimes the adults have forgotten is that my life should mean something. I must be here for a reason and I need to find it. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. That's the vision. That's the reason. God has put us here to make a difference in this world for eternity. To see lives changed and transformed. But folks, there's a scary phrase right after that one I just read because it says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. While it is day. Because folks, night's coming when no man can work. See, time is... We have this idea that well, you know what? We've been doing what we've been doing just for a long time and it's been year after year after year and probably everything's going to stay just the way it is. Nope, it's not. It's not. Can I tell you something? Um, somebody quickly open Jeremiah 31.8 and read it for me. Jeremiah 
2,600 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah spoke these words and wrote them down in his book. A prophecy made 2,600 years ago. Who got it? Read it, brother. 2,600 years ago, God told Jeremiah, Behold, I will bring them from the north country. Get a map. Find Israel. What's north? The former Soviet Union. Okay? When Jeremiah wrote those words, there were no Jewish people in Russia. There was no Russia, but there were no Jewish people where that, where that was going to be. Okay? But God knew that someday Russia would have the world's third largest population of Jewish people. And he said, the day is going to come when I'm going to call my people from the north country and a great, a great company, I think it says, a great company shall return hither. Is that what it says? Yeah, a great company. Would you say that a million and a half Russian Jews going to Israel is a great company? I would say that's a great company. Because in, in our lifetimes, we've seen a million and a half Russian Jews leave Russia and move down into Israel. I was serving there in Tel Aviv. In a, I was living in a suburb of Tel Aviv. It's called Batyam. I know that sounds kind of funny, but it's good. Uh, I was living in Batyam. I moved from the frozen wastes of Moscow to the burning desert of the Middle East, and I felt right at home because Batyam is half Russian. Did you know that one out of every five people living in Israel grew up speaking Russian? It's crazy. Everywhere you go in Russia. And so I'm, I feel right at home. I go to Russia. I go to the store. I'm looking at this stuff in Hebrew. I don't even know what that says. I say, I can talk to just about everybody there. Either they speak English or they speak Russian. Uh, the prophecy 2,600 years ago has been fulfilled in our times. Prophecy is moving. If you read the newspaper, grab the Bible with one hand, the newspaper the other, and your heart will stop. Folks, prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. The end times are upon us. And Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because we're running out of time. And then in verse 5, Excuse me, I tend to get wandering around away from my Bible. In verse 5, he writes this. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, put that in context. He's standing in front of a blind man. Here's a blind man. He's living in darkness. He can't see anything. He's been blind all of his life, blind from birth. No hope of a cure. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. What does he mean? I'm the one that can make the blind man see. I'm the one who can bring light to darkness. You know, he did that a long time ago when he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then on this day, he did the same thing, and he brought light to the blind. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the only answer for man's sin. You ever have lost people talk to you about all the contradictions in Scripture? Okay, I'll give you one. Right here it says Jesus is the light of the world, but over in Matthew 5, it says ye are the light of the world. See there, another contradiction in the Bible. Who's the light of the world, Jesus or us? Yes, Jesus and us. Okay, um, 
I love it because the Bible says the sun is our light by day and the moon is our light by night, but the moon doesn't have any light. The moon reflects the sun's light. Isn't that beautiful? We are like the moon. Christ is the light of the world, but man cannot see him. And so that light is to be reflected off of you and I so that mankind can see the light of Christ. And so we are the light of the world. Okay, and if you look over in Matthew chapter 5, we'll glance in there just for a minute. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, I think we're in verses 13 and 14. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's then forth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under feet of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that, you may see, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A couple things I want to say to you about this in closing. The first thing is, did you notice that it doesn't say, you ought to be the light of the world. It doesn't say, I wish you were the light of the world. It doesn't say, you should be the light of the world. You know what it says? You know what Jesus said? He said, you are the light of the world. Can I tell you something? A lot of Christians going around, and they're not witnessing. And some of them, it's because it's like, well, I can't really witness. Why not? Well, I have problems in my life. I, I've got some issues. I'm not perfect. And you know what? If I witness, people just laugh at me. Now, let, let me stop and talk about that for just a moment. If you're living in open sin and rebellion against God, then you're right. You need to get your heart right with God. Okay? But most of us, we're not living in open rebellion and sin. Now, do we have some problems? Yes. Do we have some issues? Well, everybody but me. You don't believe that? Boy. See, I can get away with preaching like that because my wife's not here. She'd laugh me out of the room. Ah, no issues. All of us have issues. Okay, look around. There's nobody here that's got it all together. You don't have to be perfect in order to witness. Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not that maybe someday you will be. He didn't say you ought to be, you should be, you could be, I wish you were. He said, you are the light of the world. See, what we don't realize is that when we got saved and the Holy Spirit took up residence in our life and began to change us, He's doing what He said. And He is changing us. And we're different than the lost world. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. And the lost world sees that. You are the light of the world. And so what should you do about it? It says, let your light so shine. It says, don't put it under a bush, bushel, but put it on a candlestick. Okay? Now, let's think of a bushel as like a bushel basket. Who would take an oil? Back then they were dealing with oil lamps. Here, I'm at home. It's getting dark. I've, let, I've lit the oil lamp. And now here, I'm going to put it down on the floor. I'm going to put a bushel basket over it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Light a light and put a basket over it. You big dummy, why would anybody do that? That's silly. He said, don't do that. He said, put it up on a lampstand where everybody can give light to everybody in the room. He said, let your light shine. Okay, so number one, you are the light of the world. I don't 
Don't get a big head about it. It's not you. It's God in you. But He is in you. If you're saved, He is there. And He is making a difference. He is filling you with love for the lost and, and for a love for God. And the world doesn't have that stuff. So what should you do? Don't put it under a basket. Put it up. Let your light shine. You say, well, I don't want to be proud. Let your light so shine, okay, that men will see your good works and pat you on the head. No, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, live your life, letting your life shine, telling people about your love for the Lord Jesus, even though you've got problems and issues, believe what Jesus said, that you are the light of the world, and go out there and talk to people about your Lord, knowing that He is in you, you are shining, and they're going to see it. And what will happen? They'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. Folks, we are called to spread his light. Jesus showed up that day, saw a blind guy, and said, I'm going to heal him. I'm going to bring light where there never was light. God called me to go to Moscow and take the light to people who had never seen any light. Boy, it just transforms their life. And God's called you to take the light of the gospel to the lost people right here, to Jewish people and to other people, to all the people. And we are the light of the world. And if God is speaking to your heart this evening and saying, what's your light doing under a basket? That's kind of silly, isn't it? Don't you think you need to speak up? Don't you think you need to talk to your neighbor? Don't you think you need to talk to that fellow at work, to that relative, to that friend about Christ? Remember, Jesus said, we, I must work the works of him that sent me. And he said, time is short. And so let's let our light shine for the Lord Jesus Christ.